Well, this morning, as it probably comes as no surprise as we celebrate Easter, we're going to speak about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ this morning. You know, most believers understand that Jesus died for our sins. That's why the cross is such a common symbol in our faith. That's why we see it everywhere. The cross is a symbol of Christianity. It was actually meant to destroy Christianity. The cross was put there that Jesus would die on there so that there would be no more Christianity. They figured if they could kill Jesus, then this whole movement, the faith would just stop right then. So every believer understands that. We recognize that Jesus died for our sins on that cross. And that cross has become a symbol of our faith. His death is what cleansed us from all of our sin because the penalty for sin is death. And somebody had to pay that price. It was either going to be us, but instead Jesus paid it for us. But I think all too often we uh, underestimate the importance of the resurrection on this day. The importance of it can be lost on us. Most of the time I think that a lot of us view the resurrection as just a, a really cool thing that God did. They thought they, they thought they had him, but no, they didn't kill him and he rose from the dead. And that's all we see it is, is really this awesome miracle showing who God was. But the truth is the resurrection has so many significant implications in our lives as believers. First, we have to understand that when this happened, as they briefly talked about in that video, the people of God were a broken people. They had placed all of their faith in Jesus Christ. They trusted Him. They, they were following Him. And then they look up one moment, He's in prison. And He's being beaten, and He's put on the cross. And they killed Him. And they, they saw Him as the Messiah. He was the Christ. And for the Jewish people to be the Christ, they thought He was going to come and rescue them from oppression. They thought they were going to rescue him from... from uh, hey guys, come on in. <laughs> they thought that they were going to rescue uh, them from the, the oppression of the Romans. But then they look up and he's dead. They're a defeated people. And it wasn't until he was resurrected that that turned around for those people. Second, if Jesus wouldn't have gone to the Father, if Jesus wouldn't have died and been resurrected again, he wouldn't have sent the Holy Spirit. We received the Holy Spirit because He was resurrected and went back with the Father. And then finally, the most important reason that His resurrection has an implication on us today is that even though His death was necessary for our forgiveness of sins, like we said, the the penalty had to have been paid. His life was necessary that the problem was fixed. His life was necessary for us to live. You know, His death just the forgiveness of sin wouldn't have fixed the problem that man was facing. God could have just waved His hand and said, I forgive you of your sins, but that wouldn't have fixed anything because we'd still be a sinful people. We'd still be a broken people and we'd still continue to live our lives in sins. We would have been cleansed, but we would still be in bondage to sin and death. In Romans seven fourteen through 15 it says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. But Jesus did what the law could do. Paul was speaking here, he says that what the law couldn't do, I'm sorry, but that was Paul speaking, he says says that I'm doing the very thing that I hate. This was before Jesus, before the death and resurrection. And they had the law, the Jews had the law, and he's like, you know what, I want to do the right thing. Anybody here ever wanted to do the right thing? 
but felt like they couldn't. I lived most of my life not truly understanding what Jesus did, wanting to do the right thing, but I failed day after day after day. And that's what, that's what Paul was saying, is that before Jesus, I wanted to do the right thing, but I just couldn't. I was in bondage to sin. See, Jesus did what the law couldn't do. The law only gave us a guideline or a plumb line of where we were supposed to live. It said these are, this is the standard of measure that you have to live up to if you want to be right with God. But it never allowed us to meet the standard. But when Jesus died for us, we could finally meet the standard because He gave us His life, which was perfect. Another scripture that describes it uh, pretty well is Matthew twelve forty three through 45 It says, When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through the waterless places seeking rest but finds none. And then it comes and it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. And then they enter it and dwell there. And the state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. What he's saying is that if you go in and you clean out a vessel and empty it out, it gets put in order. But if you don't fill it with something else, what was there can creep right back in. It's like the story of a mason jar. Is anybody familiar with canning at all? Even vaguely? Here we got one person back there. I'm going to use this illustration anyway. You guys are going to have to learn. I'll wait while you Google it. <laughs> in mason, when, when they're doing canning, what they do is they take these jars and they they have to remove, so if it's a jar that's been used before, they, they remove the old stuff, right? You've got to clean the jar. You've got to get it clean. Nobody wants to put some, some peaches back in a can that had raspberry jam in it. It's all old. So you've got to clean it all out. And they clean it and they sterilize it. And that's the picture of what happens with us when, when Jesus died on the cross. He took us and He cleansed our body. He sterilized us. He made us pure and clean. But we still have a small problem. There's nothing inside the jar. Because the canning process doesn't end there. If you want to use that jar, what do you do? You put something else inside of it before you seal it up and call it done. And that's what happens with us. The, the old stuff wasn't just removed, but His life was placed inside of us. So as we look at, we're going to spend some more detail looking at the importance of His death and the resurrection. So let's go ahead and, and get into Scripture in Matthew twenty seventeen through 19, it says, And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, He took the twelve disciples aside, and on the way He said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn Him to death, and deliver Him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and He will be raised on the third day. You see, Jesus knew what He was here for. He knew that this was His very purpose for coming. Jesus wasn't here to just be a great teacher, a good man. He came as the Son of God, God in the flesh, to die for us. And this, there's at least three other times just in the book of Matthew where he announced his death and then his resurrection. In Matthew 12.40, in Matthew 16.21, and in Matthew 17.22, he also speaks of his death and resurrection. Now you've got to imagine for the disciples, this had to be difficult to hear. His disciples are following Him. They're coming after Him and they're learning from Him and they're putting their trust in their faith in Him. Faith in him and He says, you know what? I'm going to have to go and be killed. Matter of fact, Jesus had to rebuke Peter because Peter wasn't okay with this. In Matthew 16, 22-23, it says, And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. 
Peter just couldn't understand why this would be happening to the man that he was following. And we actually see, as we're going to see a little bit further, that even though they heard him say it time and time again, I still think they didn't really believe this was going to happen. This was hard for the disciples to hear. That not only was their master going to be killed, but he was going to be flogged and tortured and crucified. Truthfully, even today, I think it's hard for us to imagine what Jesus really went through. Anybody ever seen The Passion of the Christ? I've seen it once. I won't see it again. It's not something I want to see again. Just last night, uh, Pastor Michelle and I were upstairs. We were watching TV, and they have that new A&E show that they're showing advertisements for of the, of the life of Jesus. And, and I don't know how graphic it's going to be again, but she's, she says to me, she's like, why would you even want to watch that happening to him? You know, I just, it's not something I want to see because it's heartbreaking. It's what Jesus went through is so much worse than they can even show on TV with probably the passion coming the closest to what he actually went through. But he did that for you. He did that for you and for you, every person in this room. He endured that. The Bible says for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Yeah, it's hard for us to imagine what he went through. So you've got to imagine the people that were living with them, walking with them. They had to be just terribly upset of what was going to happen. But the truth was is that his death was necessary. That's the purpose he was sent for. In Romans 3.23 it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is a pretty inclusive verse that includes everybody. You know, there's a lot of people that, that run around saying, well, I'm a pretty good person, or I've, I'm, you know, God's going to take and, and weigh my good versus my bad, and if there's just enough to tip the scales, then I should be okay. But the truth is, the Bible says that we've all sinned and we all fall short. There's nobody that's ever going to be able to tip the scales in their favor. And then in Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we all know that all of us have fallen short. And we also know that the wage of that sin, of that falling short, is death. There's no other option except Jesus Christ. And without His death, if He wouldn't have died our death for us, if He wouldn't have took our place, then we'd all still have that debt to pay. Matter of fact, there's many people that are going to go to hell Not because of their sins, not because of anything they did, but just because they didn't receive that free gift. They disregarded what God did for them and they say, you know what, I think I'll pay that price myself. In John 12, 27-32, we find out that His death, though, is actually our redemption. In John 12, 27-32, it says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. He says, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And the crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered, the voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. You know, Jesus was a man just like all of us in this room. Or person. I realize some of you guys are women. Don't be giving me those evil looks. 
But Jesus, he was, a, he was a man just like us. He was a person just like us. He dealt with the same emotions that we dealt with. And he says, now is my soul troubled. What, will I, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. And in Luke twenty two forty one through 42, he says, and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and he knelt down and he prayed saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. You see, Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. And the man part of him was not looking forward to being flogged, to being crucified, to being beaten. As I don't think any of us in this room is, is looking forward to any kind of pain. But he knew what was coming and it was bothering him. It was troubling him. And I've, I've said it before, but every time I read when Jesus is saying, Father, not my will, but your will be done. You know, we know that it was bothering Jesus. He was, it says that while he was in the garden at that time, he was so distressed that he was sweating blood because he knew what was coming. And I look and I, I recognize that Jesus was going through pain, but I wonder how much God must have felt. How would the Father have felt as he was hearing his son cry out, Father, take this away from me. I don't want to go through this. You know, I look at, at my son or my daughters, and if anybody were to ask me to give up their life for someone else's, it ain't going to happen. And he was crying out to God. His father was looking down on his son saying, Father, take this for me. How hard must have been that on God as well? But God loved you and I, everybody in this room, so much that he was willing to send his son to die for us. On August 16th, 1987, Northwest Airlines Flight 225 crashed just after taking off from the Detroit airport, killing 155 people. But one survived, a four-year-old from Tempe, Arizona, named Cecilia. When the news people came and they found this one lone survivor from this airplane crash, they initially thought, you know what? She must have been in a, a vehicle because every other person on that plane died. She must have been in a vehicle when the airplane crashed. She was thrown from a vehicle or, or something like that. But as they went back and they, they looked at the flight records, they found that Cecilia's name was, was on the flight. She was in that flight. And as they began to do more research, they found that the reason why she had survived is that her mother had gotten up from her seat, unbuckled her seatbelt, and turned over to, her, to little Cecilia and wrapped her body around her, and she never let go until the plane hit the ground. And because of that, because that loving mother wrapped herself around her daughter, it protected her when she hit the ground. And you know what? That's the exact same thing happened with Jesus on that cross for us. Just like that mother sacrificed her own life to protect her daughter. She gave everything. Jesus did the same thing for us. He's, in His death on the cross, He has wrapped us up inside of Himself and protected us and shielded us from the very punishment that, that we deserve. We should be taking that on ourselves, but He took it in our place. Just like nothing could separate that child from the love of her mother, not tragedy, not disaster, not the heat of the flames, not the height, depth, Anything was going to keep that mom from her kid. The same is for, for us with Jesus. So his love is even greater than that. As we continue on, as we look at the story, he says, 
Father, I glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven and says, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And the crowd that stood there heard it and said that it had thundered. Others said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. But Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. See, Jesus was under no doubt what his father was going to do for him. But this voice was heard, and it was just for those listening there. This was to, for people to recognize that Jesus had been sent by God. This was God's stamp of approval on what Jesus was doing and what he was going to accomplish. Everything that happens with Jesus' life as we look through it shows that God was with him. It was God's plan. Even the resurrection is showing God's stamp of approval. How many know that if Jesus wasn't enough, if he wouldn't have made the impact that he was supposed to have made, if he wouldn't have done what he was supposed to do, he wouldn't have been resurrected. But because he had done what he had came to accomplish, God resurrected him from the dead. And he even goes on to talk about it. He says, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And Jesus was lifted up. The scripture says that when he's talking about this, he's referring to how he was to die. Jesus was lifted up on a cross and died and paid the ultimate price for us. And because of that, because of his sacrifice, his, the result of that is he is able to draw all men to him. His love draws us into Him. His sacrifice draws us into Him. And in the same way, we need to lift the name of Jesus up to others. Lift up His name in front of men so that they might see what He did for them as well and see His love. Because Jesus didn't die for just those of us in this room, but died for every single person in this city of Marana. The primary reason we do anything in this church is to reach the loss of this community. The reason why we do the outreach is the Easter egg hunt. We want to make an impact on the community, but the primary reason is that we would meet just one person that doesn't know God and we can minister into their life and they could come to know the love of a Savior. We want to lift up the name of Jesus as well. Amen? In 1 John 2, 1-2, It says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. With these scriptures, I want you guys to recognize that the job is done, that there will be no confusion when we wonder about our sin, that Jesus Jesus Christ paid the price for everybody. Amen? John is saying to, his, to the people that he's ministering to that if we ever sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, because he is the propitiation for our sins, but not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. He paid the price for everybody. Like I said earlier, nobody's going to hell because of their sins. They're going to hell because they refuse to receive what Jesus Christ has done for them. In Ephesians 1.7, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. We have redemption and forgiveness of our trespasses because of what He did. And then in Hebrews 10, 11-14 it says, And every priest stands daily at His service 
Hebrews 10, 11, 14, 11 through 14 says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. The words there are pretty clear, right? He says, for all time, those who are being sanctified. The, the offering that Jesus made covers all sin, all of them. I want you to know that the job is done. All sins have been paid for and for the entire world. And there is nobody, anybody in this room willing to pay twice for the same service? Anybody ever sent two checks for your same electric bill? Just to make sure? Or when your water bill came in, did you send one check and then also send you know, money by, by, uh, by wire and then also send, a, send some cash in the mail? Anybody ever done that? You just pay it once, right? Nobody in this room would pay the same bill twice. But that's essentially what we're doing when we reject what Jesus Christ has done for us. It's been paid for completely. Also, when we get this idea in our head that we have to live good enough, we have to do the right things, we have to come to church enough, we have to read our Bible enough, we have to pray enough, we have to do all of these things, when we put that in our head to make ourselves righteous, we're basically trying to pay the same bill twice. There is nothing that you can do of your own self to make yourself righteous. You can't live good enough. You can't do the right things. But it's what He did for us that makes us clean. And as a result of Him making us clean, we can finally live the life that He's called us to live. We're no longer in bondage to sin, so we can finally be free from it. We can live a sin-free life because of the work He's accomplished in us. But it doesn't go the other way around. The truth is that God is a just God. And He demands justice. There was a price that had to be paid. Like we looked at earlier, the wages of sin is death. But however, he's like a judge that right after you stood before him and he convicted you as guilty, he's like a judge that would do that, but then walk out from behind the bench and pay your fine out of his own wallet. We were guilty, but he paid the price for us. Anybody ever read read in Hebrews 10.26? It says, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, that no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Anybody ever read that and wondered about that scripture? The question we have to ask is, what if we sin after we get saved then? Sure, He he paid the price for all of our sins and we, we receive Him into our hearts. What happens if we sin then? On one in Hebrews 10, 11 through 14, we find out that He has perfected for all time those who were sanctified. And He had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins. So then if we take a look at that Scripture, Hebrews 10.26 says, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth that no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, our first instinct is to go, oh no. That means that if I sin afterwards, there's nothing that I can do. I'm condemned. But the truth is, what, what Paul, most likely the writer of Hebrews is Paul, what he's most likely saying is he's speaking to, these, to the Jews, he's ministering to other Jewish men who are familiar with the law. What he's saying is, that if you go on sinning afterwards, you, there is no other sacrifice. You see, what happened before is every priest stood daily to service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which could never take away sins. They sinned, and then they offered a sacrifice. They sinned, and then they offered a sacrifice. 
But Paul's saying that there is no longer, there, there remains no more sacrifice for sin. What he's saying is, is that Jesus did it the first time. There's not another sacrifice that you make. If you sin after you're saved, Jesus still covers it. There is no more sacrifice for sin. We don't have to give another one because Jesus paid the price once and for all. He died for our sins and they're paid for and there's nothing more that we can add to it. Not a single thing. You guys ever heard of, in the Philippines, about the men who recreate the the, on Good Friday, they recreate the, the Via Dolorosa and they, they beat themselves with whips as they, they walk up towards the... Actually, I'm not sure where they're going. But, uh, but every year, on the Friday before Easter, these young men volunteer to have their hands and feet nailed to a wooden cross for a brief time to imitate the crucifixion of Jesus. And these men known as Christos express their sins by torturing themselves. And they, yearly, they reenact yearly the the Via Crucis or the way of the cross. And they basically mock the crucifixion. They, they, they reenact the crucifixion of Christ. And they beat themselves with whips on the way up. In some way, they're thinking that they have to endure pain to become right with God. And they've looked at what Jesus has done and they've misconstrued what has happened in their lives. And they've somehow decided that they have to do something to atone for their sins. Even though the truth is, is that Jesus did it once and for all. We don't have to beat ourselves. We don't have to flog ourselves. We don't have to cry out to God and beg for forgiveness when we sin. Because He has forgiven you. Now to be clear, what I'm not saying is that we have a license to sin. Just because you're saved doesn't mean you should do whatever you think you want to do. When you were saved, you, you were made brand new. You were free from the bondage of sin and death. We're to live a holy life because God is holy. And he is, we finally have that ability because He's changed who we are on the inside. Not like before when Paul said, I wanted to do the right thing, but I couldn't. We now have the ability to live the life that God has called us to live. And we do so to honor Him. But He was the one sacrifice for all time and He perfected all of us for all time. Amen? And Luke 24, 1 through 7 says, But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still at Galilee? That the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise again? In Matthew 28, we see that there was an earthquake that happened, and the angels rolled the stone away from the tomb. You see, we just talked about the reasons why Jesus died, but now we're going to begin to look into the resurrection and its significance and importance in the life of believers. But this is how it starts. An earthquake comes, the, the stone is rolled away, and the angels are standing there. And you know what? The, the, the stone wasn't rolled away to let Jesus out. But it was to let those people in, the witnesses in, so that they could see that He was risen. Exactly what Jesus said would happen. You remember right here, He says that, 
I'm going to be mocked and flogged and crucified and, and I will be raised on the third day. Exactly what he said would happen, happened. He was, he was flogged, he was crucified, and then he rose again from the dead. And the angels give a rebuke to the, the people that were in there. He says, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember what he told you? You see, we do the same thing in our lives all too often. We forget what he said. When we are sick, we ask God, why is this happening to me? But we forget that he died for us to be made whole. When we're struggling financially, we forget that he said, I know the plans that I have for you, plans for a hope and a future. When we are afraid, we forget that he has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and sound mind. And we, when we succumb to temptation, is because we forget that we are new creations in Christ. We forget, just like they did, what he has said to us. The truths that are true in our lives because of what he's accomplished. And the interesting thing here is some say that, that Jesus was stolen from the tomb. Some say, those who are opposed to the resurrection say that, no, he actually wasn't really dead. He just swooned on the cross. Apparently he just, he just passed out and, and woke up later and, and hundreds of pounds of spices and somehow it was okay. The fact is that Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. This is not a wishful thinking. This is not a, a, uh, uh, some sort of spiritual... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? No, if not... Yeah. Oh, that's not important. But it's, this is a real thing that happened. It's not symbolism. That's the word I'm looking for. This isn't spiritual symbolism. Jesus Christ literally rose from the dead. If you spend any time in, in an apologetic study, if you look at the history of what happened and you take a deep look, there's no other conclusion that you can come to that this actually happened. Jesus Christ really rose from the dead. He was alive and the, the angel made it clear. He says, why do you seek the living among the dead? You're looking in the wrong place. If you're going to a graveyard looking for Jesus, you're looking in the wrong place. And then once again, just the fact that God rose Jesus from the dead was that stamp of approval that says that this is my, my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased and He did what He came to do. And He rose Him from the dead. So we, we can look at, like I said, if you want to spend the time and do the research, you can see that, that you can bank on His resurrection as a, as a historical event. There's plenty of evidence to show that, that what Luke said is actually considered by secular and non-secular historians alike to be one of the greatest and most accurate ancient historians that ever lived. They, they keep thinking that they're going to find something to prove what Luke said was wrong historically. But they can't. Every time they, everything that they think that shows that he was wrong, they, they do a dig and they find something else. And he was an accurate historian. But now we've seen the resurrection had happened. And I want to spend the rest of the message today talking about why that was important for believers. First, when Jesus died, his followers who were left, they were a broken people. In Luke 22, 54 through 57, it says, And they seized him and led him away, bring him into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. This is Jesus that they were leading away. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. And then a servant girl, seeing him, 
as he sat in the light and looked closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. Peter was messed up by what just happened. The, the man that he had placed all his trust in, all his faith in. I mean, like I said, the Jewish people thought that, that he was going to be a political savior and, and free them from the oppression of the Romans. They, they weren't looking at this the way God had meant it, that he was going to come back as a king, but he's the king of kings, the lord of lords of a heavenly kingdom and not the earthly kingdom that they were thinking. And Paul, or Peter's so messed up that he won't even admit that he knew Jesus. And this was even before Jesus. Jesus hadn't even died yet, and Peter's already messed up. And you've got to remember that in Matthew 16, 15 through 16, Jesus said to his disciples, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, replied you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter is the one that first had that revelation. Peter said, you know what, you're the Messiah, you're the Christ, you're the Son of the living God. And, and Peter had no doubt his faith was placed and planted firmly in Jesus Christ. But he didn't quite understand how it was going to fold out. You remember he was rebuked also for saying that, no, you're not going to die. But then he actually does. He gets taken, gets captured and taken. And Peter was messed up. How could the Christ be in this position? But Peter was broken. And then we also see that a similar thing from Thomas. John 20, 24 through 25, it says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. This was after Jesus showed himself after he had been resurrected. And says, So the other disciples told them, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger to the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Thomas had made up his mind. You know, this is kind of like what you see on the internet now. Pictures or it didn't happen. He was saying, I, I, I'm not going to believe unless he shows himself right here. Thomas was defeated. He had placed his trust as well in this man and, and now he was dead. And the truth is, this just wasn't Peter and Thomas either. This was all the disciples. Jesus meets a couple of the disciples on the road and has this conversation with him. This is after he came back, uh, after he hadn't quite ascended yet, but he had been resurrected. And this is Luke twenty four nineteen through 21. And it says, And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, because they didn't recognize it was Jesus at this time. And he says, He was a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to the death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides this, all this, it has now been the third day since these things happened. They all hoped that he was going to be the one to rescue Israel. But he was dead for three days. They didn't know what was going on. See, what had happened is, is that his disciples were a scattered and broken people after he died. After, and they placed all their trust in him. He was going to rescue them from oppression. He was their Messiah. But now he was captured, beaten, and dead. They were broken. But then, if you look just a little while later, after all this happened, we see an incredible change in the people of God and the people that are following them. In 1 Corinthians 
15, 3 through 8, this is Paul speaking. He said, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. And to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So we have these people that won't even admit they know Jesus. They refuse to believe in them unless they can see them. And we have people that are like, man, he was supposed to be here. And then it turns into this. He says, I delivered you as of first importance what I also received. In Acts 3.15 it says, you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And in Acts 4.33 it says, And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. How does a people that are broken, that don't believe, they, they don't even believe anymore, they refuse to believe, they won't admit that they know Him, go from that to this, to a people that are preaching with great power, and they're delivering the importance of the gospel message. How did they get there? Something must have changed inside of them. Something must have happened. Something that would spurn them on to many of them give their lives for the gospel. It's because Jesus came back. He was resurrected. That's one of the evidence for His real resurrection because how would a people so broken turn around and give their lives for something that they just made up? Not only that, this scripture right here, Paul says that all these people saw it. It says that he appeared to Cephas and the twelve. He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Most of them are still alive. Then he appeared to James, and last of all, he appeared to him. Now Paul is giving this message while all these people are still alive. Don't you think if this wasn't true, they would have went, yeah, I was there, that didn't happen. Paul, you're kind of crazy. Paul's preaching to peace as they're still alive. These people that saw Jesus, this could be backed up. This could be looked at. This could be, they could check it out. But Jesus came back. And the truth is, is that if the body of Jesus would have ever been produced, Christianity would have been dead right there in its infancy. Because one, the disciples were believing in a resurrected Christ. If somebody would have showed up with the, with the body of that would have defeated them. Or if it was them, <coughs> pardon me, some people say that the disciples stole the body away. Now can you think of, of anybody, so many people being willing to give their life for something they knew was a lie? They knew that they had his body tucked away somewhere? They were fundamentally changed by what happened. And the opposition, how many know that the people did not want Christianity to grow. The, the, the Jewish priests at the time, the, Roman sold, the Romans at the time, none of them wanted this, this kingdom to rise. If anybody would have had that body, they would have just produced it and said, no, nah, you guys are crazy. He's right here. He's not resurrected. He's still dead. They would have killed Christianity right then. The reality is, is that his resurrection is the reason why we're meeting in this room right now. And not just for spiritual reasons, but for practical reasons as well. If he wouldn't have been resurrected, Christianity would have died right then. The next thing I want to look at is because he died, he sent the Holy Spirit after he died and was resurrected. 
In John 16, 4-7, he says, But I have said these things to you, that when the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I am going to Him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. Jesus told His disciples that it was to their advantage that He went away, that He were to die and be risen again to to be with the Father. Because He says otherwise the Helper, the, the Holy Spirit, wasn't going to come. And we know this to be true because we see in John 20, 22, He says, and this is after He had been resurrected, but He had not yet ascended to the Father. He says, and when He had said this, He breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. It wasn't until after Jesus was resurrected that we received the Holy Spirit. And then he continues on in this passage in, in verses 8-11. through 11, He says this, And when He comes, he will, He's talking about the Holy Spirit, And when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in Me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. And you will see Me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. You see, he's gonna, the Holy Spirit is here to convict the world concerning sin, not to point out their individual sins. The Holy Spirit's job is not to point out everybody's failings, which also means it's not our job to point out everybody's failings. But rather, to point out of their need for a Savior. He's the one that testifies, testifies to their heart, saying, you know what, you need a Savior. You need Jesus. And it says, concerning righteousness, because since He is here, Jesus has gone to the Father. To the Father, in other words, because the Holy Spirit is here, it's finished. Jesus did what He said He was going to do. He accomplished righteousness for all of us that would receive it. And it says concerning judgment, because all unbelievers are already judged. In John three eighteen, it says, "Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name." of the only Son of God. We also find that we're going to receive power from the Holy Spirit as well. In Acts 1.8 it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. It says we're going to receive power from the Holy Spirit. And we read about the gifts of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12, 4-10. He says that there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who powers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And this list is not all inclusive, but in verse 7 it says, to each is given the man, or to, verse 8 says, For to one is given to the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and another the utterance, utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. You know, we receive these gifts of power because Jesus was resurrected and He sent the Helper to us. And then we also see that we receive the fruits of the Spirit inside of our lives as well. In Galatians 5.22-23 it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things there is no law. 
we can finally receive and, and, and partake in those things because He sent the Holy Spirit. And without the resurrection, without Him ascending to the Father and sending the Helper, we wouldn't receive any of this. I'd say that's pretty important, wouldn't you? Let's see, what time is it? All right. We'll try to wrap this up soon. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 19, it says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise. If it is true that the dead are not raised, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are lost. Christianity is nothing. It is the pinnacle of our faith. Because of His resurrection, we have been raised with Him in newness of life. And His resurrection was the proof that He was who He said He was. Paul's making the argument that if the resurrection does not happen, then our faith is worthless. In fact, we should be pitied because once we die, then that's it. But because of the resurrection, there is hope. Phil Yancey describes a unique funeral custom conducted by African Muslims. Close family and friends circle the casket and quietly gaze at the the corpse. No singing, No flowers, no tears. A peppermint candy is passed to everyone. At a signal, each one puts the candy in his or her mouth. And when the candy is gone, each participant is reminded that life for this person is over. They believe life simply dissolves. There is no eternal life and there is no hope. Without the resurrection of Jesus, we'd be in that same place. There would be no hope. I was just talking to Melissa yesterday about letting, uh, her father is going through some health problems right now, and, and my father passed away a couple years ago. And she was talking about how she was, she was scared about what was going on, and I said, I understand what you're going through. My dad passed away from pancreatic cancer a couple years ago. But the thing that, that helps me through it is the realization that as Christians, we don't mourn like the world mourns because we have hope. We will see them again one day. I will see my dad again. I I, I asked him to make sure. I said, Dad, have you received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And he told me, yes, he had. So I know that I'll see my dad once again. We have hope. And without the resurrection, that hope is lost. And Paul says that we are of all people most to be pitied. And we'll go ahead and finish up here. In Romans 6, 3-8, through 8, it says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like this. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe also that we live 
with Him. You know, we share in His death. By faith, we have been put on that cross with Jesus and we died with Him. But also by faith, we share in His life. When He was resurrected, He gave us that newness of life. When He died, our old man died with Him. But when He rose again, He gave us His new life. That's why the Scripture says that we're a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed. Behold, the new has come. Because our old life is dead and gone and dealt with and done. And He gave us His new life inside of us. Paul said it like this in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. One of my favorite illustrations that talks about Jesus inside of us is about three-year-old Katie. And she was taken to her her, uh, pediatrician during a recent bout with the flu. And the doctor examined her ears and he says, will I find Big Bird in there? And apprehensively, Katie replied, no. Then before examining her throat, he says, will I find the cookie monster in there? And again, she said no. And finally, listening to her heart, he asked, will I find Barney in there? And with innocent conviction, she looked him right in the eye and said, No, Jesus is in my heart. Barney's on my underwear. (laughs) Jesus is in our hearts. He has made us brand new. We are not who we were because that person is dead and gone. And we have His life inside of us. And none of that would be possible. We couldn't die with Him and be raised with Him if He didn't actually raise from the dead. Today we celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus. We understand that His death was necessary for the forgiveness of our sins. But it's His resurrection is what seals the deal in our lives. His death gives us forgiveness, but His life gives us the ability to live free from sin. And I thank God that He didn't just treat the symptoms, but He fixed the problem in all of us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and uh, bow our heads.